amongst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head. And nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Blix. Welcome again to the Fringeworthy Podcast, your only podcast of interdimensional exploration and adventure. This week, we're actually responding to an email that was sent to us by one of our guests, uh, one of our uh, online forum uh, participants. And he asked us what kind of stories, what kinds of plots worked and didn't work. Rather than just sitting here and saying, okay, well, here's this story, and this was the adventure we ran, and this was the problems that we had, a kind of a post-mortem on adventure after adventure, we really thought about it for a while and said, well, there's some ideas, some methods that seem to be important in stories, in adventures, that are overwhelmingly successful if you do them, and some things you really have to be careful about. So we decided to do that instead. John? We have to, of course, give kudos to the person who suggested, which is our our favorite suggester of ideas, Jay Haley. This one's for you, Jay. To start out with, as a GM, you it's your job to entertain the players. One of the things that Bruce has always brought up when you do run an adventure or even a scenario is include combat. If you don't include combat, well, your gun bunnies and your bricks and your martial artists will get bored watching the, watching the face guys do their thing. Make sure you include some sort of combat in the adventure. You have to be sensible in the kind of, you know, when and where that combat occurs. You know, if you're in the middle of New York City, you really can't have a raging gun battle because that will bring down SWAT teams and stuff like that, and then your players may not, la- may not last too long in that situation. But combat has its place, and you can just as easily have a bar fight where your player, where your bricks and your martial arts can shine, uh, instead of a raging gun battle in the middle of the streets. I would suggest that you include a spoiler or a teaser. A teaser would be a better word for it. A teaser in the beginning of the adventure, much like you see in James Bond movies, where there's a short, quick fight in the beginning, which might set up a later encounter, but it gets the players engaged and gives them a bit of the, the action right up front. So that it doesn't feel as though the game is just stalling and they're just waiting for something to happen. Um, it's kind of cool to make something happen right away, especially if you can use it to set up a later encounter or make them hate the bad guy even more to give them more of a reason to go after him. It can also really set up the mood. If you just want it to be more horror-oriented or more science fiction-oriented – or you know whatever you know you can use this as a method of, of of saying this is the kind of adventure you're going to be experiencing, and just giving them something really tasty right up front. In a uh, couple of canned adventures uh, where I've run things, and they've included a flashback combat scene where you, the characters are you know a couple levels younger now, and you basically go through, and you go through a combat where the bad guy, you know, gets gets a MacGuffin and goes nanny nanny boo boo and escapes. 
And its entire purpose is to introduce the player characters to the bad guy so that later on they have a reason to go after him when they encounter him again uh, later on in your adventure. Now, uh, what what did you guys call that when you start right in the middle of the adventure? Right, right, I mean, right in the middle of the combat? In media res. Right. Those are kind of neat because you start out, your character's in the middle, there's smoke everywhere, bullets are flying already, and the game master says, okay, here's the adventure, let's go. And then you get to go back and say, how did we get here? Right. Which, which could be a little bit more difficult if you're doing a going backwards kind of thing. You don't have to. You can actually just start right in the middle of the action, and then the GM can say, okay, this is how you got there. And then they could pick up for there. You are hitting them with the plot hammer. There's no doubt about it. But if you keep it short, if you make it, you know, make it really pointed and give them a lot of options, it's okay. One of the things that we wanted to say about these introductory type combats is make them short. You, you don't want this to be a huge combat that takes hours to resolve for two reasons. One is because, as you said, just because you wanted to include it so that the people who were into uh, martial characters would have something to do. And you don't also want to bore the people that are into investigation or into negotiation and things like that. So you got to keep it short. you got to give that spotlight only for a certain amount of time. It's also important because since most of the game systems that are used to play Fringeworthy are fairly realistic, you don't want to give too much of an opportunity to hurt the characters because otherwise they're going to be spending the rest of the adventure, the rest of the session, running around in a wounded state. And that's probably not going to be very enjoyable for the players. Unless, of course, you do like I, like I did, which is a flashback combat, then, of course, they have plenty of time to heal up. Right. Well, that's something you'd have to do if you let them get really hurt. But if you do a short combat, probably they may only suffer minor wounds, something that they can probably, you know, take care of pretty easily, heal overnight. You don't want it to be something that sets the tone for the, the rest of the adventure. I'm adventuring wounded. You know, this is my character. He sucks right now because he's wounded. But normally he's really awesome. You don't want that to happen. Yeah. This is a case where a couple of game systems out there use it. The escape Benny. The bad guy can just spend the Benny and escape. Not necessarily unharmed, but he gets away. They encourage you doing that, especially if you're doing a flashback type thing. You only go for like maybe 10 rounds and then you spend the Benny and have him escape with his goons and get the heck out of there. Now, if you are going to use an escape Benny, though, you need to let your players know. You need to let them know ahead of time that, yes, if I, here's this little chit here. If I use this, if I spend this chit, the bad guy gets away, and there's nothing you can do about it. But I have to spend this chit, and I only, I only got one or two chits to spend for this. So if I spend both chits, you know the next time you meet him, if you can defeat him, he will die. Otherwise, he's going to get away. Right, because in that way, they're not spending their, uh, any kind of bennies they have or any kind of one-shot things they have when you're not going to allow mm-hmm. them to win. So it's not fair to let them blow something that they might actually need throughout the adventure. If you're walking around with a tactical nuke and you throw the tactical nuke at the bad guy and he uses an escape Benny, well, you just used up your tactical nuke. Now you're really in trouble. I realize in French where the tactical nukes don't go on the French pass, so this would have to be a tactical nuke that you actually went through a lot of trouble to get on the world that you're on. Even more important. Okay, so another thing that we wanted to warn you about, I have been guilty of this twice, and it worked poorly both times, and that's why I want to warn you about it, is don't use abduction as a means to make friends. It sounds like a good idea. You grab a character, you drag him off somewhere, he gets to meet all kinds of interesting characters, he joins up with the gypsies, 
the revolutionaries, uh, whatever, you know, you introduce the bad guy and then let him escape. No, he's not going to like this. The players are not going to like this. They don't like their characters being grabbed and taken off and done things with. Unless, of course, you, you talked to beforehand and they totally bought into it. But normally speaking, in the course of an adventure, they always feel that they should have the ability to control the fate of their character. You do this, they feel like their their right of, of characterization has been violated, and they're going to hate it. I recommend highly against doing it in almost all situations. You learn from my mistakes. Of course, having said that, two of Tritech's games involve that very said um, plot, major plot thing, uh, Incursion and Hardwired Hinterland. Both require that the players are, well, abducted, or they've made a wrong turn and now they're someplace else and they can't get back. But having said that, you know, those are games that your players hopefully know that they're they're playing and don't and aren't surprised by that feature. That's part of the game's setup. You have to buy into that. I'm saying once you get past that, you don't want to suddenly have people, you know, somebody flying in on their DC ten and abducting the player character and dragging him off to an Emberon three or four grids off, and then everybody else has to go rescue him. First of all, that's going to make it really hard on the GM because now the GM has to run two adventures, not one, because you've got this, this player character who hopefully has something to do for the rest of the session. Then you have to run it for everyone else trying to get together. This rarely works, as I'm saying. I would highly recommend against it. Better to grab a red shirt and have them get dragged off and then you know somebody that the characters care about and then they get to honestly go and rescue them and bring them back. But definitely don't use it as a means of making friends with the NPCs. It's not a good team building thing. Another facet of the uh, of the kidnap is yeah. using blackmail in the same way. Not so much that he captures them, but he forces them to do his bidding because you know he'll either blow something up or kill somebody or something along those lines. You've now put the players at odds with you. They're going to try everything they can to not do the mission the way you want them to do it because they see you as him and they're mad at the fact that he's blackmailing them. So they're going to try and derail your adventure at any opportunity they get. I've been working on an adventure for another 20 dollar game where that was actually the main thing was a blackmail. The supervillain would present them with a little device that they had to plug in a 26 letter alphanumeric code into to prevent a bomb someplace else, someplace else in the world, from blowing up and injuring people. After thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, I realized there's no way to keep the players from actually creaming the bad guy the very second night he hands him over the device. <laughs> Even if it meant that the poor schmuck someplace get blown up, they'd rather cream the guy rather than you know be under blackmail. There are players like that. They would blow the entire planet up to get at this one guy who set them up. Because for some reason, that's just how players can be. There's a corollary to this. For players, if you're playing a somewhat realistic game, there are some times in some cases where surrender is the better part of valor rather than fighting to your very last breath. But I've seen players who make the world's greatest jihadists in their deathlessness and they're willing to, to go to, the, to their very last breath in their, in their fighting. That's something you really need to consider, you know, and that's something that G, that GMs should you know work on. If you know if your players are the type that you know show no mercy and give no pardon, well, their enemy is going to do the exact same thing. You know, as far as I'm concerned with that whole thing, and I've seen this and I've thought about this quite a bit, is that um, 
if you're going to be playing characters that are so stale that they can't be enticed to do anything because you know they they'll just become a jihadist type character immediately they've become such cardboard characters i mean why not just play a board game why not just break out some miniatures and and play warhammer or something like that and not actually play characters because i mean that's essentially what you're doing you're playing a miniature if you're gonna play a role-playing game and you're you know you're gonna play these these personalities you need to have one you're a piece of paper with with writing on it needs to have a personality or else he's literally just a uh, a, a paperized version of a miniature that's a great point there blix let's move on to another idea give the characters more tasks to do than they can accomplish not just one task that is impossible to accomplish, but many, many different things to do so that they have to choose between those tasks. Uh, They can be somewhat related, but it's important to give them the illusion of choice because that way not only do they feel better about the choices they made, but then they get to spend an awful lot of time thinking about the choice that they didn't make. And oh boy, we really wish we could have done that and that would have made such a difference. This they'll have to invest more meaning in the choice that they did make. And it'll give them much more buy-in to the situation as it develops. Yeah, remember, railroads are very rarely just one track. They have many tracks. Conversely, don't fall in love with your story because while you may have decided that there's only two resolutions, A and B, it's guaranteed your players will come up with C through Pi. Be flexible. You know, if your players want to go down a side side road or go someplace else, or well, someplace else within the same plot, and still solve the mystery or still rescue the maiden or whatever, but but do it in a totally different way than what you thought of. Let them. It's their story. Right. And another thing that you can garner from this is that if you give some subplots or, or allow some subplots to develop, and and these can be things. Uh, where the player says, oh, I wonder if this is the answer. Even if it wasn't, you you can always use that as a game master. A lot of things that players don't realize, at least I know several game masters who do this, a lot of their best ideas actually come from the players. You know, the, the game master, the player will mention something like, oh, man, I hope it's not this. And the game master will go, oh, well, it wasn't until just now. Um, you know, not out loud, of course. But sometimes he gets really great <laughs> ideas from the players. Those are things that you can use throughout gameplay, but you can also come back to them. You know, if a if a player is playing and he happens to mention something or notice something or make some kind of conclusion, and then after the adventure's over, you know, the next adventure may come from that player saying to you, "Hey, uh, you know this thing that I saw, you know, on the computer screen? I'm gonna go check that out." Well, there's a whole other adventure you can develop. So don't don't ever um, miss miss you know underestimate the, the power of that. Don't be afraid of giving them a longer plot arc to go along with the shorter plot arc. Some episodic TV like Battlestar Galactica or Babylon 5, they were the short arcs, you know, the, the episode stories. But then there's always the long arc story that also is happening in the background. And the story you're telling at that time, or that scenario you're running at that time, may or may not be part of that long arc, or it may only be a little bit part of that, of that long arc. Don't be afraid of plotting out these long arcs. Just remember that, just like battle plans in time of war, they'd never survive contact with the players. You're listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. 
you also want to try and give big story arcs along with smaller story arcs. A lot of times you want to have like a big, long, flowing story arc that's going to last several adventures. could even have a main villain just making appearances here and there. Maybe he's just alluded to. Perhaps when they defeat the bad guy at the end of the adventure, they find this information about Mr. X or something, or maybe pointing towards some facet of his big plan. That way you get that continuing story like you do with, uh, let's say, pulp comics or you know a lot of your TV shows and stuff. The players still have the ability to finish small goals, but then when they reach the end of the longer goal, it's quite satisfying. So you might have an adventure that runs several months long, and they're solving little, you know, little pieces here and there. And then they get about halfway through, and they realize, oh my god, this is part of a great big arc. That's always really a neat thing to develop with adventures, and I've always found that that is always satisfying. I mean, that never seems to fail. I've I've never had a series of adventures like that under any game master that 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 wasn't enjoyable. In Fringe, really, the long arc initially would be with the Fringe Pirates. They're going to be a, a, a constant nuisance in, up until you find a way to solve the problem with them. And however, and however you solve that problem is really up to the players because there's many ways of solving that problem, up to including you know, inviting the French pirates into the alien cores and saying, hey, would you guys rather have a, a steady paycheck instead of fighting for one? Another way to run one of these big arcs is you can, you can have a whole node be like the big arc so you could have you know they go to one alternate and they do an adventure and then they get some kind of clue and they may not even realize it and they go to another alternate and they do some stuff and they get another clue and they realize well hey wait a minute this kind of ties into that one thing that we found and then it leads them to go to the prime and they go to the prime and they do a few things and then they have to go out to one of the the systems maybe they go to the prime and they find uh, an alien artifact that they knew to look for on an alternate where you know something happened and they they'd know where to look for the the artifact and then that leads them to one of the systems you know it's like oh this came from alpha centauri and that's on the system portal and then so that could be like a nice big long arc that you could run which would be you know 10 12 adventures and if this seems a little bit unlikely remember that some of the people that you're going to meet on fringe worlds are actually going to be coming from the fringe path they're fringe worthy type people themselves so they may have actually traveled to a bunch of different worlds or their ancestors may have traveled from a a number of different alternates and so there might actually be these kinds of clues left in different worlds because of their travels and maybe they hit things in various places too so it's quite possible that you might run into a plot where it involves multiple worlds instead of the standard sandbox type environment that a lot of people use in Fringeworthy, where you go through the portal, you're on a different world, and anything that happens there only happens there, and when they leave, it's you close the door, you know, put out the cat, and you're done. You have Fringeworthy out there. The first encounter with the, with the Victorians is going to probably be, wait a second, someone's been here before we have. Type of, type of encounters, and that would lead to the initial encounter with the Victorians because they'll leave clues all over the place that they've been around. Yeah, right. the Victorians don't strike me as being what you'd call uh, secretive. I mean, they are secretive on their own world, but they're mostly very larger than life type characters, which are fun to play. Especially if you go through the world that leads to the other Victorian Earth on the Earth Prime node. Right. I was going to say you run into some vehicle that that's steam powered. And you're like, how'd this get here, man? This doesn't belong here. Where, where the hell did this come from? Especially if the entrance is, say, like a, ca- a cavern that can only be gotten to through a vertical shaft. 
let's talk about being funny. Oh, we we try that all the time, but that's the operating word there. Try. Funny weird or funny ha ha? <laughs> well, funny ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> like a clown. Like I'm here to amuse you. Oh. Okay. My opinion is don't try to do it on purpose. Nah, yeah, if you, if you're not if you're not a funny guy, okay, if if you're not funny, I don't even try. You know, because. dying's easy, comedy is hard. There's, you know, there, <laughs> you know, there's there's a there's a thousand comics out of work and you're trying to be funny. It's really very very difficult to run a funny adventure without it completely falling apart in a farce. Things to watch out for is don't name your characters funny names. Because then you're going to have to deal, you'll be breaking the mood every time you run into that character. Dealing with the Mexican Revolution, you don't want to be the head general to be named Jimmy Changa. Yeah. Right. Or, the, yeah. or the bad guys named Carl Farkas. You know, yeah. You know, oh, it's Farkas. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it really, I mean, that's this very true point. You know, yeah, if, you're, if you're not very, very juvenile. Yeah. Right. If you're not funny, don't even try because then you look you just look stupid and it really ruins it for everybody. To me the important thing is that you're robbing you're robbing your scenario of the real humor that's already in it. Right. I mean most humor involves fish out of water situations, where things that happen that are unexpected, you know, and there and things that seem, you know, discontinuous, but they really are. You know, all the things that go into good comedy are already built into fringeworthy because you're already fish out of water. And uh, most of the times ha- you're going to be making choices that are going to be ridiculous to the people on the world because you don't have enough information. So you, you need to go with that. You need to be, you know, uh, check your ego at the door. Well, unless, of course, your character has a really huge ego and then you should go with that. Yeah. But I'm just saying is that it go with the humor that's built comes naturally out of the adventure. And occasionally a player will say something that's so gall darn funny that you probably won't be able to continue the adventure for about for like five or six minutes and everyone laughs out all the laughs. Right. I'll tell you, if, if you want to make an adventure funny, if you, if you really want to have a funny adventure, make a serious character. Take the time to have everybody, you know, have everybody take the time to generate a character that they're very um, detailed about and, and to make it like a real person. It should have, this character should have flaws. He should have desires. He should have friends. He should have enemies. You know, write down his favorite TV show, what he likes to eat, what he hates to eat, you know, any obsessive habits he has. Is he a clean person? Does he does he have a fetish for guns? Whatever. The more detailed you make your character, the funnier the potential the adventure is going to be. Because when a situation happens, if you know a lot about your character, he's going to react to it. You know, you got the character who's a clean nut. You know, the first time he slips and falls in a mud puddle and he starts flipping out, you know, that's funny. Or one of the other characters plays a practical joke on him so that he winds up getting something dumped on him. That'll create a funny adventure, a funny scenario. Terry Pratchett, he writes these funny stories, but for the characters inside the story, it's deathly serious. To them, it's not funny at all. To them, it's life and death, and they're dealing with it. But to us reading it from the, from the outside, it's hilarious sometimes. And that's probably what you need to look at. The, the player characters, not the players, but the player characters are, well, deathly serious about what's going on. And they get they'll find themselves in a, in a totally ridiculous situation that will probably lead to 
a lot of humor amongst the players, but for the player characters, there's no humor whatsoever in the situation they're in. That's something that you're sort of shooting for at that point. Okay, so let uh, the humor be whatever is normal for the scenario, because sometimes the scenario isn't funny. All right, so this has been uh, plots that worked or did not work, and we've gone over a lot of different points. Uh, hopefully they will help your campaign um, and help you, as, if you're a player, help you make better characters that, that work better to make plots move more smoothly and, and more fun. So until next week. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words.